This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the readings that are set before us. And I pray that you would speak to us afresh through them by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Long, long ago, when none of my children could tell the time, one of them, usually Jack, would appear at the bedside and would whisper in a very loud voice, Is it morning time? And my answer was usually the same. Not yet. I shall never forget one occasion when he must have been about four, and he'd slept in later than he normally did, and I heard him get up and pull back the curtains in his room. Seeing that the sun was up, he said to himself in a loud voice of sheer delight, Yes, it's morning! I confess to not always sharing my son's enthusiasm for mornings, but I guess that most of us check what time it is on a very regular basis throughout a typical day. As we approach the end of another calendar year, and on this first Sunday of the new liturgical year, and as we look at a world that seems to have such a turbulent and uncertain future, do we know what time it is? Do we understand this present time in which we are living? In verse 11 of our epistle reading today, St. Paul urges us to understand the present time. It's important that we know God's time. As we will see from the scriptures before us, whether we want it to be or not, it is indeed morning time. It is time for us to wake up. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates this passage from Romans in the message. Make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. Advent is here. Jesus is coming. Among other things, this season of Advent is a wake-up call for us to realize what time it is and to be ready for the coming of Jesus. I should imagine many here have experienced wake-up calls in your life from time to time. And they're not always good, perhaps with some personal tragedy, perhaps with a visit to the doctor or the result of a test, or maybe just with the birth of a child. All these things can be wake-up calls to look at our lives differently, to see time in a different way. Well, Advent gives us an opportunity to do just that, almost to slow things down in the rush to Christmas. Are you ready 
to encounter Jesus? Well, this morning I want to talk about three things that we can do in light of what time it is. First, wake up. Paul writes in verse 11, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The focus of our readings on this first Sunday of Advent is the coming again of Jesus, not at Christmas, but at some unknown time in the future. Could be before Christmas. I don't know. And our wake-up call is to realize that Jesus really is going to come again. And then to live in the light of that. This present time in which we find ourselves in this first quarter of the 21st century is really a time between times. The Bible divides history broadly into two time periods. There is this age and there is the age to come. The age to come, however, has already dawned, has already been inaugurated by Jesus in his first coming and will be completed when he comes again. And so the present time that we live in is kind of an overlap between these two time periods. We're in the present age, and yet we have a glimpse of the age that is to come in Jesus. And at some point in the future, Jesus will come again, and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and the old things will pass away. And that will be a great and terrible day. Just as on a particular day in history, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Bible tells us, Jesus himself tells us, that one day he will come back, he will come again. We do not know when. Even Jesus said he did not know when. But that day is getting closer. And indeed, every believer in every generation can say that his or her salvation is nearer than when they first believed. Because every day brings us one day closer, either to Christ coming again or our own death. Either event leads to the inevitability of coming into the presence of Jesus. And so it's so important that we remember that our hope, our salvation can never be linked to material things with the preservation of our homes or our families or our, even our society. No matter how good and important all of these things may be, one day they will come to an end. Our life could come to an end tomorrow. Or Jesus could return this afternoon. And our salvation is dependent only upon what Jesus has done for us once for all on the cross and whether or not we are his followers. So the first thing we need to do is to wake up. We are living in God's morning time. And action is required. It's possible to be tempted as we look at the world around us or our own crazy schedules, simply to want, at least, to pull the covers over our heads and to, to bury our heads. But that's not the response that is asked for. No, once we have woken up to what time it is, the second thing we're to do is to get dressed. St. Paul says in verse 14, 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how Peterson puts it. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. So it is important that we are ready, not only for Christ coming again, but also that we are ready each day to face life at work, in our homes, where we live. And just as what you choose to wear, what clothes you put on, could be a matter of life and death physically, the same is true spiritually. You know, if you go out into sub-zero temperatures in shorts and a t-shirt, if you stay there long enough, you will injure yourself. Likewise, if we go through life assailed as we are on every side by every conceivable temptation without first putting on Christ and his armor, then we are simply exposing ourselves to moral failure and all kinds of stumblings. We are to take off what Paul calls in verse 12, the works of darkness, and put on instead as suitable daytime equipment for the soldier of Christ, the armor of light. The Christian life is not a sleepover. It's a battle. And St. Paul uh, uses another picture of this armor in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 where he speaks of the um, putting on the armor. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth about your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we're to wake up, we're to get dressed, and thirdly, we are to go to work. The soldier doesn't wake up and put on his armor and then never leave the barracks. At the end of our Old Testament passage this morning, we heard the prophet Isaiah exhort the people to walk in the light of the Lord. And our callings as followers of Jesus is precisely that, to walk in the light of the Lord. We don't know when Christ is coming again. We don't know the number of our days here on earth. But Christ's call to keep watch is not a call to inactivity or passivity. It's a call to work in God's kingdom today. And although we have the whole armor of God at our disposal, which we're told to put on, and although we can clothe ourselves with Christ himself, we should not as it were, be asleep at the wheel. We should not underestimate the cunning of the enemy. And so we need to understand this present time, this in-between stage between Christ's first coming and his coming again. Even though Christ defeated Satan on the cross, even though the evil one knows that Jesus will come again, after which evil will be banished for all eternity, the devil continues to fight viciously in his defeated state. And Paul reminds us, let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, 
These things stem from basic human selfishness. And our instruction is more than not to do these things. We shouldn't even think about them. We shouldn't play with how we might gratify these sinful desires. Paul writes, make no provision for the flesh. Now, I think I should be, I want to be clear. It's not wrong to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. But what is wrong is when we start toying and playing with wrong thoughts. One commentator put it like this. Put into very simple English, Paul is saying, do not plan for sin. Give it no welcome. Offer it no opportunity. Kick the sin off your doorstep and you won't have it in the house. And so as Christians, we're called to practice the presence of God every day. We're to go about our lives walking in the light of the Lord, behaving decently and not playing with temptation and sin. We're to be awake, alert, properly dressed with the armor of God. And this armor is not only for our protection, it is also to enable and equip us to proclaim the good news of God's peace to others, to tell both of his first coming and of his coming again. To be ready and awake for Christ's return is to recognize that because we do not know the day or the hour, we will live every moment of our lives as though he were coming back today. Martin Luther said, Christians should live as if Jesus had died this morning, risen this afternoon, and was coming this evening. Although the world may be frantically going about its business, oblivious to God, God is at work. The light shines in the darkness. God is at work in and through the lives of ordinary people like, like us. So let us keep watch and see what God is doing in our midst. And let us be ready for his coming again. I want to share with you Peterson's version of our, part of our gospel reading in which Jesus tells us how it will be when he will return. The arrival of the Son of Man will take place in times like Noah's. Before the great flood, everyone was carrying on as usual, having a good time. Right up to the day Noah boarded the ark, they knew nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. The Son of Man's arrival will be like that. One will be taken, one left behind. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left behind. So stay awake, alert. You have no idea when your master will show up. You know, the sin of Noah's generation was not merely that they did some bad stuff that made God mad. Their sin, perhaps more than anything, was that they were a law unto themselves and they completely forgot about God. And they forgot about the poor and they forgot about anybody but themselves. They failed to heed what time it was. Perhaps the most surprising thing that Jesus teaches us in this passage about the end times, that is, before he comes again, is how normal it will be. You see, beneath the normalcy of our everyday lives, there are all these other layers of reality. There are wars and strife and famine and persecution. 
there is unfaithfulness and immorality. People are forever exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Today's normal includes lies and betrayals and sexual immorality, greed, pride, carelessness and complacency. The problem that Jesus referred to in the days of Noah was not so much gross sin as it was secular indifference. People became so absorbed in their world, their lives, their eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, that they entirely forgot who stands over us all, who judges and who forgives. Even as Noah was loading the ark, his neighbors ignored God. You know, the judgment of God is not something that you hear a lot about from this pulpit. I think, honestly, most of us prefer to talk about God's love, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. I want my family and my friends and everyone here to know to the very core of your being how much God loves you and that there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And yet sometimes I wonder, have I erred in not also preaching more about the second most important teaching that Jesus brought, namely that judgment is coming? You know, the story of Noah is not a story about a picnic at the zoo or a boat ride on a sunny day. It's an awful and terrible story about judgment, God's judgment. You know, if you look in most uh, illustrated children's Bibles today, you would not know that, at least not by the pictures. But if you can ever find a 19th century children's Bible, you will find the imagery is a lot more gruesome. And here in Matthew's Gospel and on this first Sunday of Advent, Jesus, the Lord of love, the Prince of Peace, the self-sacrificing King of Kings, tells us this awful story and reminds us about Noah and paints a chilling picture of the future. Why? Because he's not so loving after all? No. It's precisely because he loves us so much that he wants to warn us and save us from the coming wrath of God. If God's judgment is a fact, if indeed Jesus is coming again, as we say every week in the Nicene Creed, to judge the living and the dead, then what loving teacher, what loving preacher would ever ignore that reality and not warn people to be ready. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, he does not treat us as we deserve. But there is going to be judgment. The day will come when it is too late to put off repentance for another day. And love warns us. Sentimentality is no use to anyone and describes only an unholy love. And our God is a holy God. 
a consuming fire. And so the kind of watchful, wakeful living that we're called to requires vigilance, not worry or anxiety, fretting and fussing, but readiness and a trust in the just judge who is coming again. Not because we're so good, far from it, heaven forbid, not because of that. We've got nothing to bring, nothing. We'll say later in our service, we do not presume to come to this thy table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. No. The good news is that God has provided us with the means to be ready. He's provided us with salvation through Jesus. You know, no matter how the world or our own sinful selves may tug at us, regardless of the temptations we face or the failures we experience, God is there. God is present. God is with us to answer our deepest cries, to respond to our deepest needs. God has given us his word and the sacraments to reconnect us back to God when sin tries to block out the light. We also have each other. We have one another in our church family to lean on, to be challenged by. And that's why being part of a church family, it's why being part of a community group, a smaller subset, is so important. Christians are not meant to fly solo. And above all, God has given us his son, the word made flesh, that however thick the darkness or gloomy the night, the light of Christ shines as our beacon of hope and promise. And we want that light to shine out of this place, to shine in our lives, in the darkness around us. And so I wonder, is there a family member, a friend, a colleague, who's living their life as in the days of Noah, oblivious to the coming judgment when Jesus returns? Does that describe someone here? Does it describe you? This Advent, live in the light of the coming again of Jesus. Turn to him. Repent of your sin. Ask him for his forgiveness, which he delights to give. Pray for your friend or neighbor. Maybe you can invite someone to come with you to church this season. You know, the upcoming lessons and carol services are great opportunities to do just that. And though we look, though we long for, though we hope for Christ to come again in the future, robed in majesty, that dreadful majesty, I think the word was, in the, the phrase was, in the processional hymn, we can also enjoy his presence today, now. So then, this Advent, wake up, get dressed, and go to work. Finally, Jesus said, be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Amen.